Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning. I'll be taking our Bible reading for today. At the end of my reading, I will end by saying this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. 1 Peter 3, 8-12 Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Aleri, for that reading. And uh, welcome once again to City Church. And we're thankful that you could join us for our online service. My name is Femi Oshunui. We've been going through a series through the entire book of 1 Peter. And so now we've come to the latter part of the third chapter. And that was the reading that was just done for us. Now, before we get into the word that God has for us, I'll just ask for us to pray. And I invite um, the Holy Spirit to, to be with us to illuminate what uh, he has for us. Lord, we thank you for... Your word, we thank you that you've given this to us. We thank you that you've disclosed yourself, um, your plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. Um, And so I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit that glorifies Jesus Christ will be with us um, as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to ask you a question, three questions actually. What do you think about when I say the words MTN, glow, and Airtel. Well, I'm sure here's what you are thinking. Yellow, green, and red. Okay. What do you think about when I say the word Nike? Well, I'll tell you what you're thinking. You're thinking, just do it. And what do you think about when I say PHCN or NEPA? You're probably thinking darkness. Now, notice in those three questions, one was brand as a color, brand as a phrase, and brand as customer service, or maybe lack of it. You see, what happened is that you were able to immediately identify these institutions or these companies with specific things, because brands are what companies, institutions, even celebrities uh, used to uh, the identity markers that they use to distinguish themselves from others. And so these people are very distinguishable. Now, what if I asked a non-Christian, how would you think of Christians? What, what, what do you think about when I say Christian? Now, some of them probably will use the word fanatical. Or they would use the word anti-intellectual. Or they will use the word uh, judgmental. 
or they'll use the word divided. Now, some of us will be saying, as some of us who are Christians will be saying, well, I don't care about them. Why should we even care what non-Christians think about us? After all, it's really what God says about us that matters. Am I really talking about branding when it comes to Christianity? Really? Well, I actually would say this, that Peter would say, you better be talking about branding when it comes to Christianity. Because don't forget that this letter is written in the context yes, of, people, of Christians that are living in a pagan society. And chapter 2, verse 17, tells us the main reason he's writing this letter. He writes it, he says here, I'm sorry, 2 verse 12, he writes it, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter is concerned about how they are perceived in the culture without being assimilated on the one hand or alienating the culture on the other hand, but living in a winsome way. In other words, Peter is concerned about developing, establishing, and fine-tuning the Christian brand. Now, he's spoken about that when it comes to Christianity in the households. That was what 2 verse 18 up until 3 verse 7 was talking about. He spoke about then they had slaves, and he spoke about how the slaves and slave masters behaved with each other. He spoke about husbands, and he spoke about wives. And we've looked at those in the previous sermons. But now he wants to talk to the church as a collective. And as we find ourselves in an uncertain time as well, as just as they did, I think the word Peter has to say to us as a church, city church, and the church at uh, uh, wide, uh, the wider church will be really important. Peter wants us to see how we develop, we, uh, how we develop, we establish, and fine-tune our brand. Now, he's going to tell us how to do that in three different ways. One, the essence of the brand. Two, the expression of the brand. Three, the emblem of the brand. So the title of the sermon is The Christian Brand, and we're looking at it the essence of the brand the expression of the brand, and the emblem of the brand. So let's start with the first one, the essence of the brand. Yesterday afternoon, I was having lunch with my children and my wife, and something terrible happened. Uh, we were eating, we were meant to eat plantain or dodo and beans. You know, dodo and beans, as some people say, it's like Taiwan, kind of, they are brought together. Except for me, if I have to take plantain, if I take dodo, I don't like dodo that is just ripe. I need dodo that is beyond ripe. I need that soft, squishy, tasty dodo. I like to mix it with the beans. And that wasn't available, and I had the problem. I was distraught. And so I thought, what am I going to do with these beans? And then it occurred to me, there's something else. I've not taken a while with dodo that, uh, not taken a while with beans. There's something else that goes very well with beans. It reminded me of my fundamental identity I'm an Ijebu man. And we Ijebus have given something to the world that you people have never really been grateful for. You know what it is? It's called Gary. It's like white gold. Now, that Gary, what happened was when they brought it for me, I mixed it with water. And you know how that is. Some of us know. You put it with cold water, with ice. You put it together. And so when you take the Gary and the water, something else is created. 
And you, you people, you know that thing. Because many of you, when you take your guy, you're able to share your guy with other people. But that guy water, you don't play with it. Because when you bring Gary and water together, it creates something else. They come together, they are united. But there is another kind of unity that can come. If you introduce in the mixture of Gary and water some adversity, that adversity we can call heat, when you bring it together and you put a lot of heat over a period of time and you start turning it, something else is created that is not just Gary and water put together. It's a brand new reality. And if there's any other gift that exceeds the gift that the Jehu people have given to the world beyond just Gary on its own, is this reality. It's called Epa. Oh my gosh, my juices are flowing just talking about it. Notice, when you introduce heat into the equation of Gary and water, the unity becomes a whole lot more concentrated. It's almost as though Gary and water are saying, through this adversity, we need to stick to each other. Everybody's sticky. And you know one thing, what we see in that is that you can bring two things together, but what is created in unity transcends just summing the two together. Gary, water, but Eba, as they are much more united, is a reality that just transcends Gary and water. Now, Paul says, just like just normal cold water and Gary, that the church is already a transcendent reality. It is more than the sum of its parts. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body. Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. That is, we together as members are the body of Christ, much more than the submission of our parts. But in this COVID-19 time, in the time that Peter's uh, audience were facing, in a time of adversity, question is this. Will this heat and adversity bring us even closer together? That's what he recommends. We know we are united, but how are we united? And when adversity comes, do, does it bring us closer together? Does it make us stick together? Well, Peter shows us how it can by five different qualifiers or five different adjectives in verse 8. He says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another or have brotherly love, be compassionate and humble. Let me break down those five for us very quickly. Now I'm going to take the first, the first, I'm going to first treat the, um, the first and the last because they are very related. Now remember that Jesus, when he was told, asked to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law that God gave to Moses and there are like 600 and something laws. Jesus summarized it and said, look, the two most important laws are the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and uh, mind, soul, and strength. That is vertical. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is horizontal. And the first to relate to that, um, the, the first and the last relate to that, like-mindedness. What unites us? What unites us? Or what are we united around? Here in Lagos, probably you say the, the, the people of Lagos are united by, by a geographical location, or this blended ethnic culture, or this entrepreneurial zeal uh, to be ambitious and succeed. 
Those are the things that unite us as Lagosians. What unites us as a church. I hope it, not, it better not be our social status. Or we're a church of lawyers. Our vocational status. Or maybe it is we are, we, we are economically connected. We help each other uh, uh, you know, get jobs and do contracts. Now, I'm not saying that not all these things are not important, but they are not the things that you should unite us. They should flow out of our unity together. The worst thing, the worst thing to unite us, or in fact, let me not say the worst thing, the worstest to unite us will be, like for City Church, we said, we are united around Pastor Femi. He's so awesome. Now, first of all, you'll be wrong because I do, I'm not that awesome, maybe a little awesome, but I'm, you'll be wrong. But second is, it will be an absolute shame if you unite around another human being. No, as a church, we are meant to unite around the gospel. You see, to be like-minded means we have certain things that we share in common. And it is the gospel of Jesus, but the teachings that it inspires and the behavior that it requires. In other words, we are meant to be united around a common Savior King. His primary teachings and the primary ethics that he requires of us. Be like-minded. And the second, uh, which is the last, humility. This is the attitude of not defending oneself. In other words, it is being other-centered. Because if unity requires, if the first thing unity requires about, uh, we spoke about like-mindedness, it requires loving something at the center, being gathered, uniting around a particular thing at the center, then the next thing is thinking about those who are united around that center. Love God, that is Jesus, and what Jesus has commanded. But love Jesus' people, the people that are sent, that gather around, uh, gather around the same Jesus' teachings and the behavior he requires. Not thinking about yourself. Exalt Jesus and exalt his people above yourself. This is what it means to be truly united. Now, those two are then practically expressed in the middle three. Sympathy, brotherly love, and compassion. What is sympathy? It is the ability to feel someone's pain. Feel. Feel someone's pain. It's one thing to hear that, ah, brother uh, Debo is, um, is hungry. He hasn't eaten a long time. Say, hey, yeah, you've not felt it. Sympathy means not just knowing about Brother Debo's hunger, but it is remembering what it means to be hungry and not be fed. Have you ever been in that situation? Remember, deeply enter into it. Cast your mind back. If that's something you've experienced, go back into it and then project that feeling and connect to what Brother Debo is feeling, that sympathy, feeling someone else's pain. But then there is love one another, or brotherly love. The stress, we often put the stress on the love, but the stress really is on the one another, the other person. This is familial love. The way it was used in those times was familial love. And this would have been scandalous to the average Greek, because they really prided their family over, um, over other people. Now, to not say the spiritual gathering is the new family. 
It's not saying that the family doesn't matter. Remember, he treated the family in uh, 3, 1 to 7. But he's saying you also have another family. And the same allegiance to act kindly to your natural family should also express itself with a new allegiance to your spiritual family. It's about acting kindly to them. Despite the fact that you have different socioeconomic status or different background. Remember, you don't choose the members of your natural family even when they annoy you. And so if they are church members that are annoying you, you don't choose them. You love them. And what do you do? When you love them, this really is talking about the acts of kindness that you do. It's really about doing this brotherly love. It is the act of kindness that, or the act of generosity that come um, to those who you are united with. So you see, the sympathy is to feel the pain. The love is to do something. It's act of kindness and generosity. And then the final is compassion. What is it? What turns sympathy into brotherly love action? What turns the pain and the feeling of sympathy into the action of love? It is compassion. See, compassion is the substance of what makes us act kindly to our family members. Compassion here is really the bridge that connects the emotions of sympathy to the actions of love. Why? It is very possible, as 1 John tells us, 1 John 3, 17 and 18, it is very possible to feel the pain of somebody and do nothing about it. Listen to what 1 John says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? When he says pity on them in the kingdom, he says, but his, act, his bowels of compassion is not open to them. Can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech alone, but with actions and in truth. Do you understand? Without compassion, the feelings, the quote-unquote feelings of sympathy does not translate into action. But without compassion, it is possible that you do philanthropic works without caring for the people that you are doing that to. The people that you are acting generously towards. You don't really care for them. You really care about your image. You care, as an institution, about your Corporate social responsibility. CSR all of a sudden becomes a PR tool, a public relations tool. There are many people who give, who do philanthropic works, not because they care about the people. They can't touch the people. They don't want to see the people. They don't want to speak with the people. Is that the kind of person we want to, uh, you want to be? Is that the kind of church we should be? No, what happens is uniting love feels, it thinks with compassion, and then it acts with love. It feels with sympathy, it thinks with compassion, and then it acts with love. And that happens because we are like-minded around Jesus at the center, Jesus' teaching and his commandments. And we think, exalt each other above ourselves. That is what is meant to have unity as the essence of our brand. This is often attractive. However, there are other parts of our brand that can be provocative and edgy to our, to our, in our culture. And that leads me to my second point. My second point, the expression of the brand. 
Now, Peter says this, the expression of this brand in society, as I alluded to already, is going to be counter-cultural. Counter-cultural. That is, it is not only just going to differ with some of our societal norms. At many points, it's going to even oppose it. How? Look at verse 9. What does he say? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. <laughs> now, imagine somebody just did something terrible to you. Imagine somebody who is not on your social class. Let's say you are a CEO and one of the staff members, maybe one of the janitors or one of the cleaners comes and just say, Oga, with all due respect, you are very stupid. With all due respect. What comes up inside you? Ah, ah, eh, me. <laughs> me. <laughs> so apart from the fact that he's already fired, he's fired in your mind like that. You even think he's already, he knows he wants to quit because for him to say that he can't want to be in the company. But you are not going to allow him. Because the societal expectation and our human inclination only points you to do one thing. That evil and that insult, you return it back with evil and with insult. In fact, we even in the Christian world in Nigeria, in Lagos particularly, we have a, another term for this evil for evil and insult for evil, uh, insult for insult. It's called what? Fire for fire. If they give you fire, you give them fire back. And not only is that in some aspects of our Christian world, it is in our society. And maybe, in fact, it has affected the Christian world because that is what our society has expected. But in trying to be countercultural, Peter says, listen, you repay evil with blessing. And by blessing, he means you invoke God's favor on the one who has just thrown evil at you. This seems impossible, doesn't it? Exactly. It's countercultural. Unless you think Peter is some rogue disciple that is forming his own theology, he's only echoing the words of the commandments of Jesus. Jesus in Luke 6, verse 27 to 28 says this, But you, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. And in case you misunderstand what he means by love your enemies, he says, do good to those who hate you. Then, as Peter said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Welcome to my story time. Story, story, story. This is actually not just a fictional story. This actually happened. There was once a Christian soldier who lived on a barracks with his unit. And at the end of every evening, what he would do is that he would read his Bible and he would pray. He prayed, read his Bible and prayed every evening before he went to bed. Now, there was a non-Christian soldier on the other side of the aisle who was antagonistic towards Christianity. And so, what the Christian soldier was doing constantly angered him. And because of that, because of the riling up, he was always throwing insults at him, always insulting him, always insulting him. Until one particular evening, he probably was drunk, he came back, he saw him doing the same thing, and what did he do? He took his muddy boots and threw it at that Christian, and he went to bed. The next morning, that soldier woke up, the non-Christian soldier woke up, and at his bed, he saw his boots cleaned, polished, and ready for inspection. That singular act 
seen by many other soldiers in that unit, turned those soldiers to Christ. Why? Because they saw the self-control displayed by somebody who refused to pay evil back with evil, but to, play, to repay evil with a blessing. As I'm going to say, that seems, that seems inhuman. That seems supernatural, at which I will say, yes, it is supernatural. It is actually something that he did by the Holy Spirit that lived in him. In Galatians 5, verse 22, 23, it says that um, the fruit of the Spirit, the last, he, he writes nine of them, but the last of them, he says, is self-control. So someone will say, ah, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I can't do it. Many of Christians say, I can't do that one. That's another level of Christianity. The reason is because we have to work on it. In that same Galatians 5, when he says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, then later in, 20, in 25 and 26, he says, since we live by the Spirit, since we have the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. What does that tell you? He says, even though you have the Spirit and it produces fruit, you have to develop it. And Peter understands that. And so what does he do? He gives us examples by quoting someone who? David. David found himself at some point in his life very, very distressed. He was in a place of adversity. You see, David was meant to become the, he was the second king of Israel. But before he became the king of Israel, there was another king called Saul. And Saul knew that God's favor was on David to become king. And Saul hated David. He was pursuing him. And he wanted to kill him. And so David was on the run. And in one of those periods when David was on the run, he wrote a psalm, a song to God, and he wrote it in Psalm 34. And in that Psalm 34, a portion of it, verses 12 to 16, he teaches us about how to develop that level of self-control. Because notice this, that soldier did not just wake up one day and was able to repay blessing with evil. And as a Christian, you are not just going to wake up one day, just because the Bible says it, you are going to be able to repay evil with blessing. Because our societal expectation and the flesh, your human inclination, is pointing you to do exactly what the culture says, insult with insult, evil with evil, fire for fire. And so that is why Peter then quotes David, in, uh, David from Psalm 34, 12 to 16, here in verses uh, 10 to 12. Now, but I'm just going to look at verses 10 and 11 to show us that he gives us three ways to develop that. He gives us three ways. One, prevention, the other, correction, and the third, consolidation. Prevention, correction, and consolidation. I'll add a bit of one jara at the end, just because I'm very nice. So let's take the first one. How do you develop the self-control? Prevention. Prevention. Look at verse 10. It says, whoever would love lives and see good days, what must he do? He must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Keep from Evil. Keep from evil. They say prevention is better than cure. Let me tell you a little bit of the story of my life and my wife's life. You know what they call malaria? Malaria has suffered me. Malaria, I hate my Like, the passion with which I hate malaria is like the passion with which I hate the devil. Malaria has suffered me. When I was young, before the age of 10, I had been admitted for, I had gone to the hospital admitted for malaria at least almost 30 times. I have had what you call cerebral malaria twice. 
When I moved to the UK, malaria didn't show up. Nine months after I had symptoms of malaria, you can't believe that. There was another kind of malaria uh, parasite that can be in your body for almost two years. I have had my own share of malaria. My wife too had, has had her own share of malaria in her own childhood growing up. So when we got married and we moved back to Nigeria, we became malaria paranoid. We are malaria paranoid. We have our, the, the outside of our house, right, where we live, there's fumigation done regularly. Inside our house, there's fumigation done. Huh? Um, uh, if you come to our house, we almost go ballistic if we don't shut the door. Shut the door, shut the door. If somebody doesn't shut the door, there's a nice uh, visitor, we just quickly help them shut it. Then, we sleep with mosquito nets covered inside. We identify the evil, mosquito and malaria. We identified and we kept ourselves from it. Prevention is better than what? Cure. Keep yourself from evil. Keep yourself from deceitful speech is what Peter says. Why? Because Paul tells us the more you do, the more evil you do, the more evil you want to do. 2 Timothy 2 verse 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Paul says, identify, know what you need to avoid and then avoid it because if you don't avoid it, you will eventually indulge in it. What you fail to avoid, you will eventually indulge in. Avoid. Keep yourself from it. Know what to avoid first and then avoid it. The second thing is correction. You constantly have to turn from and turn to. Look at verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. That is, it's not enough that you don't use harsh words on people. Do you bless with it? Paul in Ephesians uh, 4 verse 28 says it's not enough that you are not uh, a thief. Work, but are you also generous? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, yes, know what to avoid. Then second, avoid it, but after, do the right thing. Because correction is about purpose. What were you designed for? Because your mouth was designed to bless, not designed to avoid cursing. You have material blessings so that you can be generous, not to avoid being indulgent. You see, so many times we pride ourselves as Christians because of the things we don't do. Yes. But you are not just called, you are not called to not do something. You are called to turn away from evil and then do good. And self-control only grows by doing good, not only by avoiding evil. Know what to avoid, avoid it, and do the right thing. Finally, consolidation. Okay, I said I hate malaria, but I also hate Manchester United. I hate them. I hate the club. I can't lie. But I was said that I have to admit something. Sir Alex Ferguson is the greatest British manager of all time. That's just the truth. I hate to admit it, but it is true. And it's not just because he won, he won some things at a concentrated period of time. This is the difference between him and Arsene Wenger. Is that he won a lot, but for a long period of time. And do you know how he achieved that? It's because the moment he ascended to, he won the premiership for the first time, 
or the old English uh, first division for the first time. The moment he did that, he consolidated his dominance. Why? He was always improving his team. He may win this year with certain groups of players. You know what he then does? He doesn't say, ah, these guys are just fantastic. He starts looking who is old, who didn't really perform as well. He brings in a better player. And so by the end of every five years or six years, it was almost as though he had a new team. Yes, he got to the place or the peak, but he consolidated his dominance. He consolidated his dominance. Consolidate the good deeds that you are doing with more good deeds or seeking more good and pursuing it. That's what verse 11b says. They must seek peace and pursue it. In other words, we must become obsessed with what God wants. We must be obsessed with what God loves. The train now must be knowing what to avoid, avoiding it, do the right thing, but then do the right thing again and again, or do more right things again and again. It is really the 2 Timothy 2.16 that I read for you in reverse, when 2 Timothy 2.16 says, avoid godless chatter because those who, do, who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Paul, uh, then Peter is saying, and according to David, he's saying, seek and pursue godliness because those who indulge in it will become more and more godly. In other words, the more good you do, the more good you want to do. Self-control starts becoming a habit. So pray, study the Bible, join collective worship, do social good. And then find other avenues to do more good and pursue them. This is how you grow in self-control. This is how when evil is thrown at you, you can throw back blessing. Now, those three things, that train that I just said, the train of knowing what to, what to avoid, avoiding it, doing the right thing, and then doing more right things and doing them again and again, is like a train. And speaking of trains, you know, for a train to move, right, for a train to move, it needs three things. It needs power to move it, energy, power. It needs rails, a track to go on, and then it needs to be balanced in its weight as well. And the same way, this train of things that we have, you need to secure it in a particular way. Now, the Holy Spirit is like the power. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we have. It is something that is given to us. The Holy Spirit is the power. The track is really the commandment of God, what we are meant to do as we find in his word. But what helps us to keep the balance? How are you able to do all these things, this prevention, correction, and consolidation, which, which is the track? How are you able to, well, how do you balance your weight? You need to do it in community. You see, your united community your united community, your new united spiritual family enables your weight balancing. Because though you say I'm committed to all of these things, who holds you accountable for it? You can say I'm going to pursue it because I heard the word that was really nice. I've identified these are the evils that I have propensity towards doing. But if you are the one who holds yourself accountable, when you don't feel like it, you give in, you check out. You need to be held accountable for your goals and decisions 
um, this is essential. The goals that you set and the decisions that you've made, it is essential for you to grow. If you say, I'm going to be determined, I'm going to be determined, well, now show that determination by showing some people that will hold you accountable the things that you want to do. Don't forget that Peter is writing to the church. He's not just writing to an individual. He's writing to the church to be like-minded. And so the, 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 um, the advice that he's giving for us to grow is an advice that he says we should do together in community. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider, let us, um, let us uh, um, uh, consider how, no, let's continue to meet together. And let us not forsake the assembly of, the, of brothers and sisters as some are doing. And he says, when we then meet together, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Paul says, don't be conceited and provoke and envy each other. P um, writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another unto love and to good deeds. Your family is needed to keep your new spirit-empowered and guided life in balance. That is part of our identity. You need that so that you don't go off the rails. That is part of our brand. Now remember that we are meant to be united, but also we are meant to have this countercultural self-control that also distinguishes us. Now that leads me to my third point, which is the emblem of the brand. Now, some would say, though we have the supernatural ability by um, the Holy Spirit uh, to do this, to repay evil with blessing, I'm, I'm a thinking person. I'm an intellectual person. And I hear that the power is there, but I don't see the reason. Does the supernatural ability depend on a supernatural reason? Now, say, when Peter is writing this, he actually thinks that it's fairly obvious. He knows, he believes there is a reason. Because he says, in verse 9, on the contrary, pay evil with blessing because, he gives a reason, because there is a reason. It seems fairly obvious to him. Because to this, you are called. He's saying, you are called to this. That's exactly what you are called to. So that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says, because of where you are going. So that you may inherit a blessing. So in other words, Peter says it's fairly obvious. We are called to it. It's expected of us. Why? Because of where we are going. Since you are going to inherit a blessing, this command is obviously what you are called to. That's what Peter is saying. And again, you see, this is established in what David says in verse 12. David gives a simple principle when he says, for, for the eyes of the Lord, or therefore, the is like therefore, or no, for the reason... Uh, the things I've told you to do, uh, the things I've told you to do is, is hinged on this thing I'm going to say. For, because, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you read Psalm 34, it then says to blot out their names from the earth. In other words, David is saying, and Peter is saying, in the end, God blesses those who do good and punishes those who do wrong. So it's easy. We say, eh, it's still not making much sense to me. I, I can't see how I am called to this. I just can't. Perhaps a discussion 
about logos then. Emblems can help. Since we are talking about branding. You know what I mean by logos, emblems? Like, if you think of Nike, Nike has the swoosh, right? If you think about Mr. Biggs, Mr. Biggs has that big yellow B in a red uh, background, right? So how about our own logo? Since I'm talking about branding, Christian brand, do we have a logo? Now, don't forget that an emblem and a logo has to reflect something integral to who we are. And I do think that this passage points you towards the Christian logo. Now, I'm going to explain with one, a challenge, and two, uh, I used to like mathematics in one part of my life. I did a lot of mathematics. So I'm going to take you through some equations as well, all right? And hopefully we'll be able to prove it. So we're going to represent this verse, verse three, uh, 3 verse 9, through uh, some equations, and hopefully we can, it can lead us to the logo. But let me start with this challenge. There's a video <coughs> about a lady that was circulating. I'm <coughs> sorry. About a lady who, um, um, who out of... Uh, her own goodwill and with her own money went around during this COVID-19 to provide food for some people. She gave them packaged food, jollof rice, and I think there was a single piece of meat there. She went to a particular community of people. And they were all coming, you know, she was doing it from the back of her car. And people were coming. And at some point, what we started to notice as we were recording is some people started to complain that the food wasn't befitting for them as Nigerians. Can you imagine? Look at the food. Where did they give us? So can you imagine for this Nigeria? Look at this food. And as one person complained, others started complaining, more people started bringing it. The food that she gave from her own money, government didn't give her anything. She came to come and meet them. They were saying they deserved more than what she was giving them. Ah, social media went ballistic. Like, can you imagine these ingredients? Can you imagine these people? Can you me, I will never. That's why I don't. Some of these people, they are saying we should give to. Really, do they really deserve it? Wouldn't you react the same way? Now, the question and the challenge is this. How or why? Why should that lady continue to bless? Why should that lady continue to bless? think it has to do with our logo and the equations I'll talk about. So let's look at them. Now, in verse 9, he says, he's talking to somebody and he says, don't repay evil with evil. So that means you received evil. Don't repay insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil that was given to you with a blessing. So imagine there is a person P and there is a person Q. Let's say you are Q. And the other person is P. So P gave you evil E. And you'll be seeing these equations on your screen now. P gave you evil E. Now in verse 9, it says, normally the culture will say Q, you will give E back. P gave E, therefore Q should give E. That's what the culture and society tells us. That is what our human inclination tells us. But then the commandment is, P who gave E, as P gives E, Q who receives E should give B, blessing. So P gives E evil and Q gives E blessing back. That is a problem. Because you're like, how? I can see the symmetry of the equation if E goes this way and E comes that way. 
and if we take it out of the equation, it just seems to me there is a moral problem because what happens to the evil? What happens to the justice? When somebody does evil, shouldn't they be paid back? Shouldn't they receive justice? So how can you say I should give blessing back? What happens to the evil that was done to me? Now notice, he says, repay evil with blessing. At that point, it is just P and Q here, those two people. But it then says to Q, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, Q, don't forget that you are going to inherit a blessing. At that point, another person is introduced here. Because he's not inheriting a blessing from P. And he can't inherit his own. You can't inherit what you, something from yourself. So there has to be an R. So now we have P, Q, and R, as you see now. right? And then, let's recast this equation. P gave, P gave E to Q, yes? But Q is receiving B from R. Does it make sense? You are inheriting a blessing. So he says, E gave you, a P gave you e, evil, and now, but R is giving you P. So in other words, now, we go to the next level of the equation, that is how you see he's able to give B to P. So let's put it this way. Look at the equation. P gives, P gives Q evil, E. But because Q is receiving B, uh, B from R, blessing, he's able to give P back B, blessing. But there's still a problem. I can see how R is giving Q a blessing. And therefore, Q is then able to give a blessing back to P. But what happened to the evil? Why is R even blessing? And who is giving this blessing? Who is this R that is giving this blessing to Q? Well, it says here that that R is God. Because the eyes are on the, of the Lord are on the righteous. Attentive to their prayer, prayer that is giving them a blessing. The inheritance, the inherited blessing is God that is going to give. So what kind of God is this? I can understand that he is commanding somebody to give a blessing because he gives them blessing and they will inherit blessing from him. But what about the evil that is being done? He may be a nice God, but he is an unjust God. I say, hold on. And this is where our equation gets balanced because of the emblem, the logo of our brand. Because the E, the evil, doesn't just end with Q. No. As P gives the E, as P gives evil to Q, Q can take that evil E and take it to R. Why? Because R has something called a cross. God has a cross. And on that cross, the evil that was done to Q and the evil that Q does. Because truly, the Q would have done evil in their life. You are not perfect, are you? Even though you received evil from that person, 
You are meant to give blessing back, yes, but don't feel holier than that because you have done evil to other people. So where is all this evil going to be taken care of? Ah, this is where you see the justice of God. This is where the Christian logo comes. Because on the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ, who only ever did good, according to Acts 10 verse 38, he only ever did good. He was the one that deserved blessing. Instead, he received punishment. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is summarized in the logo of the cross that the one deserving of blessing received punishment so that those who trust in him even though they are all, they deserve punishment, they will receive blessing. And it is on account of that, he then says, go ahead and do likewise. The cross is the ultimate symbol of blessing repaid for evil. And those who then carry the cross as their brand are meant to repay evil back with blessing. Why? Because they inherit a blessing instead of punishment for their own evil. How is this woman meant to repay evil back with good? She is not meant to do it just out of sheer will. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in her, but she also has a reason to do it. The Holy Spirit empowers her with the right mind, shaped by the gospel. He says, remember, take the evil that has been done to you, right? Dump it in the same place you dumped your own evil. Dump it at the cross and then receive the inspiration of the blessing that you are going to inherit, the blessing that you are already living in, and pay them back with that blessing. You are not paying back what they have given to you. You are paying them back with what God has given to you and God will yet give to you. To you. And then somebody says, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is too much for me. In fact, I know there are some people that are watching right now. You are already ready to revenge the evil you have received from somebody. The pain is going through your mind right now. You are saying, can you imagine this Ingrid, despite everything I did, see how she betrayed me. Now, you are that person, listen to the word of the Lord from you now. Do not repay evil with evil. Repay the evil with the blessing. How? Go to the cross of Christ. Lay down that evil lay down that pain there then meditate on what God has done for you meditate on the fact that you did not receive the evil and the punishment and the judgment that you you deserved but that you received his blessing that you are now his child you are now in his family and that when Jesus Christ returns he will give you a blessing that eye has not seen ear has not heard neither has it entered into the heart of man and because you will inherit that blessing Take that blessing now. Take that mindset in the power of the Spirit and pay them back with blessing. And then somebody will say, but they don't deserve my blessing. To which one word undermines everything there. Because God will say, but you didn't deserve mine. Because notice, we don't earn the blessing. We inherit the blessing. And if you know anything about an inheritance, it is not something that is earned. It is something that you are given by grace. 
An inheritance is not earned. It is received. It is given and received by grace. If you didn't earn the blessing you received, then they should not earn the blessing that you give. More and more, our society, in a time of pressure, in a time of adversity, see a people who are united a people who are countercultural in a very good way that benefits our society with the logo of the cross. If they see this united countercultural community with this logo, this emblem of the cross, if they see that that is our brand, not only will we be distinguished from all other groups of people, more importantly, our Savior King will be distinguished. Many would then come to him. They will come to us and say, tell us about your Savior. And they will be saved. Let us be that kind of church. Let that be our brand. I say that to us as City Church, but I say to others who will be participating in this. I say that to other leaders. Let that be our brand. This is the time for us to really develop, establish and fine-tune our brand. Our city is watching, our world is watching. And Jesus has sent us there so that eventually, through our good deeds, they may glorify God in heaven. Let us pray. I want to first speak to some of us here very quickly. If you have not ever taken your personal evil, your own personal evil to the cross, in other words, You've never looked at that cross. Look, you just see it as you wear, maybe you wear the chain of a cross. It's just a symbol to you. It's not something that you see how you've taken your own evil and you have taken your evil that you deserve punishment for. You've not taken that to him. If you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what it is to take, to admit that you're a sinner and deserving of punishment, but then to look at him and say, when I see him, I see my evil, but at the same time, and I see my judgment, but at the same time, I see the love of God, and I see my blessing. My blessing of being with God, being part of his children, being in his family, dwelling with him forever, having my mind transformed and shaped, and being able to do good in this world. If, you are not, if you've never had that experience, then now is your day of salvation. Don't postpone. Don't wait. Come to the cross of Christ. Confess your sins now. Confess the way you've lived for yourself. Ask him to forgive you. It's because of you the cross was necessary. It's God's love to you. Don't hold back. Follow this Jesus. And if you are a Christian now, and you know you need the power of the Spirit, not only in developing the self-control, but the, for the courage to be held accountable. Ask now. Remember, it's not something that can just be done individualistically. There are principles that are there that you personally have to think about. You have to know the evil that so easily besets you, the evil that you are inclined to. You have to know that. You have to know where you are not able to exhibit self-control. And of course, you have to apply those principles of prevention, of correction, and consolidation 
But that requires certain decisions that have to be made. Who is going to keep you accountable for that, those decisions? Some of us have been burned by church, been burned by maybe you know, being accountable, maybe being a member of church and heavy-handed leadership, or maybe people gossiped about you, or maybe you came out with a particular sin and you were, you were embarrassed. I know. But that doesn't mean the fact that you've, you've experienced the counterfeit doesn't mean that the real doesn't exist. Some of us need the courage to face and confront our fears and get into a healthy church and be held accountable. Ask God for that grace. Ask God for that grace to develop and to hold yourself accountable. And finally, for some of us here, I really do believe this, some of us here need the special strength to forgive, to not revenge the evil that has been shown to you, but instead to bless. Some of you, it is evil that has been shown to you over a period of time. Over a period of time. You need the special strength of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Lord will empower you right now. I pray that the Spirit will move in you right now. I pray that the Lord will, will melt the heart of hatred and vengeance with love right now. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos